Lovely, good evening. We're going to read from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through to 43. Uh, There's an absence of rustling, so I'll begin. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them them to give her something to eat. We are diving into chapter 5 of Mark and picking up our series in Mark that we did um, this time last year. And so in case you can't remember what you heard last week, let alone last year, um, here's where we've been over these first four chapters. Jesus appears on the scene in chapter 1, and he's come, he says, to proclaim the good news. He's come to preach and to teach the good news of the kingdom of God. And throughout these chapters, we see Jesus teaching, and along with teaching, we see him display his power over various things. And as he is teaching, as he's showing his power, there are different responses to his message. Some people respond positively, They're amazed and so begin to follow Jesus. 
Others aren't so impressed and they reject Jesus. And in chapter 4, uh, Jesus explains why his teaching will bring different responses to his message. And we're left with a question at the end of chapter 4. Have a look down very quickly. Last, very last sentence of chapter 4. The disciples, after Jesus calmed a storm, turn to each other and say, who is this man? Who is this man? And that is the question that we're asking as we work our way through Mark's gospel. Who is this? Who is this man? The unexpected king. And today we see the compassionate king. The compassionate king. Compassion, it's that, it's that feeling of, of concern and of pity for those who are suffering, for those who are worse off than yourself. I wonder if you can remember a time that you felt compassion towards someone else. Maybe you can remember a time when someone else you know showed compassion to you. A time when you knew that they understood you. A time when you knew you could trust them. A time you knew you could go to them for anything. We're going to take the opportunity this evening to look at three encounters, three individuals who have encounters with Jesus. So we heard about two of them in the reading in verses 21 to 43. We're also going to look at the first one as well, at the first half of Mark chapter 5. And as we do, we hopefully, hopefully, we'll see the threads that are running through these three stories, these three encounters. As Mark writes, so often he writes showing a thread that runs through the different accounts that he writes. And so we'll see in these three stories in Mark chapter 5, three things. We see desperate situations. We see a deep compassion from Jesus. And we see different responses to Jesus. And as we look at these three encounters, um, rather than going through them one by one, we're going to jump between the three of them as we see the different threads that run through the three of them. Um, so sorry that if that will um, confuse your brains as we go back and forth and flip back and forth, but hopefully that will help us to see the different threads that run through these three encounters with Jesus. So first we see desperate situations. We meet three people who are all in desperate situations. First, in the first five verses of chapter 5, we meet a man with an evil spirit. Maybe to help us, I'll stand over here when I'm talking about the man with an evil spirit. Verses 1 to 5. In verse 1, we rejoin Jesus and he's crossed over the lake to Gentile territory. He's, if you like, left the Tottenham stand and he's gone to the Arsenal end. And here he is, as no sooner has he set foot on the shore, but he's approached by this man who's in a desperate situation. What do we learn about him? Verse 2, he's unclean. He has an evil or an unclean spirit in him. Verse 3, he lives in unclean places. He lives in the tomb. In the last year or so, as I've been in Basingstoke, I've learned that there's some better places to live, there's some worse places to live. I won't mention what those worst places might be. I'll leave that up to you. But no place in Basingstoke is as bad as living in a tomb, right? He lives in a tomb because he's an outcast, verses 3 to 4. He lives in a tomb because he is a danger to people. And so the people have tried to bind him up. They tried to chain him up. 
They treat him like an animal. He's been dehumanized. He's treated like a wild animal, looked to be chained up. And so, verse 5, he's tormented. Have a look down. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Here is a desperate situation. Our hearts bleed, our hearts break for this man. And then verse 22, we meet Jairus over here. Um, so if you drift off and you see me looking at, standing over this side of the stage, we're at Jairus. We're looking at Jairus. What do we learn about him, verse 22? Well, he's a synagogue ruler. This would likely mean that he's a rich man. He's a powerful man. He'll have influence. He'll be known around town. And yet, he's helpless. Verse 23, do you see what he does? He pleads with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. It's another desperate situation. And then third character we meet is the sick woman. The sick woman, verses 25 to 28. What do we learn about her? Well, we don't even get her name. She's unnamed. She's a nobody in society. We learn she's been bleeding. She's had a disease that's caused her to bleed for 12 years straight. If that wasn't bad enough, this would mean that she is ceremonially unclean. It means she's cut off, cast out of the community. An outcast with her situation. Can you imagine it? 12 years of bleeding. I mean, I've had a cold these last few days. And I've felt pretty sorry for myself. But this is 12 years of bleeding. Verse 26, she suffered a great deal. Many doctors have tried to help her. She spent all that she has. Doctors can't help. Money can't help. And yet, she is alone, isolated, out of options, hopeless, helpless, penniless. And after all of that, it's only getting worse for her. An utterly desperate situation. Three people in desperate situations. And maybe as you looked, as you heard those, and as we looked at those three individuals, hopefully you could see some of the similarities that were coming through and some of the differences that we saw between those three individuals. We have the man and the woman who are outcasts in society. And we have Jairus, who's a somebody. The woman is nameless, penniless. She comes up behind Jesus in secret. Jairus is named. He's rich, he's powerful, he has a standing in community. In fact, so much so that he's able to come to Jesus and demand an audience with him, speak to him face to face. And yet, all of them are helpless. None of them can do anything about their situation. Our heart bleeds for them all. And did you notice the small detail how each one of them react to Jesus in the same way. Have a look at verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And then Jairus, verse 22, when Jairus came there, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. And then verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. 
all they can do when they see Jesus is fall at his feet. Mark wants us to see a thread, to tie a thread through these three different people, to see in these three very different people, three people in totally helpless situations before Jesus. And notice in their desperation, all they can do is turn to Jesus rather than turn away from Jesus. I wonder what your instinctive reaction is to hard times you might face or suffering you might go through. It can be different for different people. Maybe when you're faced with hard times, it just causes you to turn away from Jesus. How how can he let that happen? What's going on? Or maybe when you face hard times, all you can do is turn to Jesus. If you're suffering here, if you're going through a tough time at the moment... Will you come to Jesus? Or or if you're not at the moment, but maybe you know someone who is and you're looking to support them, will you take them to Jesus? Why is it worth coming to Jesus? Well, because Jesus shows a deep compassion, secondly. A deep compassion. See how Jesus reacts to them all. First, we have the man with an evil spirit. See how Jesus engages with him? See how Jesus talks to him. See how Jesus is prepared to help him. And then we have the sick woman. Do you see how Jesus engages with the sick woman? A woman who hopes not to be seen by anyone, who who comes from behind, who reaches out and touches his cloak. And Jesus senses this, verse 30. He wants to know who's touched him. And the disciples think this is ridiculous, verse 31. They say, you see the people crowding around you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? And yet Jesus wants to know. And so the woman approaches Jesus, verse 33. She falls at his feet. She's trembling with fear. This woman, she's not meant to be around people, and yet here she is in the middle of a crowd. She's not meant to touch anyone, otherwise they would become unclean. And she reaches out and touches Jesus. And she tells him everything. I wonder how she would be feeling at this moment. How's he going to react to me? And verse 34, he said to her, daughter, daughter, not woman, how she's been described to us, nameless, how she's probably known to the people around them, but daughter. Oh, how those words would have been balm to her soul. Daughter, go in peace. Peace. She's not known peace for 12 years. Be freed from your suffering what she's been looking for and spending all her money on all this time. And she's got it. Jesus engages with a woman that no one else does. Jesus accepts a woman that no one else will. In her terror, Jesus doesn't rebuke her. He accepts her. And so whilst this woman does receive the power of healing, so much more than that, she receives peace and receives a family. 
You see, the reason Jesus calls her out of the crowd is because she, he longs for her to know that God loves her and God accepts her and God welcomes her into his family. But what about Jairus? Don't forget about Jairus. Do you remember Jairus' situation all this time? Jairus is probably thinking, Jesus, what on earth are you doing? Why are you dealing with her? Do you remember my situation? Come on, come on. We need to move here. The delay must have been agonizing. And then the agony gets worse for him in the worst way imaginable. Verse 35, whilst Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? As a father of a little daughter with one on the way in a couple of weeks' time, how must this be the worst possible news imaginable? And you see how these people who come to tell Jairus, they just have no hope. They look at him, they look at Jesus and say, Jairus, what's the point of bothering this man anymore? And yet Jesus ignores them, verse 36, and says to them, and says, verse 36, to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And so he heads over to the house with Jairus and some of his disciples. He rebukes those who are outside the house grieving. And he goes into the child's bedroom. And he takes the child by the hand and says, Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And the girl experiences the loving, tender touch of Jesus Christ. And then Mark gives us this little detail in brackets, verse 42, that she is 12 years of age. Does that ring a bell for anything else we've heard of 12 years in this story? For as long as this little daughter has been alive and well, is the same length of time that Jesus' new daughter has been suffering with this horrible disease and bleeding nonstop. Jesus shows compassion to all. And yet it's not just simply feelings of compassion, but it calls Jesus, it causes Jesus to act. It's not like when I might walk past a homeless person on the streets of Basingstoke and and my heart goes out to him and I may feel compassion, but it doesn't cause me to do anything different. No, when Jesus has compassion, he acts. And not act in a little way but act in a way that can changes completely the situation. You see, Jesus has great compassion, and Jesus has great power. He can do something about it. With the man, he gets rid of the demon just by speaking, verse 8. With the woman, he heals a disease that, that no doctor and no money has been able to do, just through touch, without even consciously knowing it at the time. And verse 29, how soon does it happen? Immediately. And with Jairus' little daughter, with a tender touch, and with intimately kind words, the kind of words that a mother might use to wake a child from from a nap, Jesus is able to raise a little girl from the dead. 
Because to Jesus, death is just like sleep. Just touch and a word. And how soon does it happen? Verse 42, immediately. There's Mark's buzzword again. And so what are we to take from these encounters then? Are we to look at these and are we to expect healings and acts like this, healings of sickness and disease all the time? No, I don't think that is the purpose, that is the point that Mark is wanting to make here. You see, as we work through Mark's gospel, Mark the writer is wanting to reveal slowly and surely the identity of this man, Jesus Christ. And so the purpose of these miracles is to show us who Jesus really is. And so we see that here in this man, Jesus, he is stronger than demons, stronger than disease, stronger than death. You see, when he meets demons, disease, and death, he will fight them with an unstoppable force. And yet, Jesus' love and compassion means that he treats people with a beautiful tenderness as family. You see, there's no promise here that in this lifetime the suffering will stop. That's not the purpose of the miracles here. But it points to someone who is able to do something about it and promises a day when there will be healing. In the healing of the the sick woman and Jairus' daughter, we see this sandwich structure that Mark uses a number of times in his gospel as he takes two stories and he intertwines them together to help us understand what's going on. And so often it's to look at the meat, the middle of the sandwich, to understand the point, the lesson. So what's the lesson here for Jairus as we look at this bleeding woman? It seems to be about something about having faith in the waiting. Jairus has the agony of waiting as Jesus insists on responding to this sick woman. And Jesus calls him to to believe and to trust. Sometimes we may have to wait in our suffering. And so Jesus says, will you trust me as you wait? The pain is in the waiting. And so Jesus says, whilst you wait, will you come to me? Will you rest in me? See how he receives people with compassion. See how much he cares for people in their suffering. So if you are suffering, if you are going through a hard time this evening, don't be afraid of coming to Jesus. Don't hold back. Don't turn away from him looking to fight it in your own strength. Bring your pain to him. Speak to him. Pour out your heart to him in prayer. Because his compassionate heart welcomes you into his arms. Run to him. Rely on him. Rest in him. Trust him. We see desperate situations. We see deep compassion. And then finally we see different responses. Throughout these three encounters, we, th- we see varied responses to Jesus. Some of those bad. Have a look at how the crowd responds when Jesus heals the man with the impure spirits in verse 14. 
Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion and demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it had told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Here is a man who the people could not tame him, and yet Jesus transforms him. So much so that he sat in front of Jesus, dressed and in his right mind. And how do they respond? Surely they should rejoice. And they're afraid. In fact, they're so afraid they plead with Jesus that he might leave them. They conclude that being without Jesus is better than being with him. But we also see some good responses. Notice how the man healed of the impure spirit responds to Jesus. Verse 18, just like the crowds, he he pleads, he begs Jesus. And yet in contrast to the crowds, he begs to stay with Jesus. And not being able to stay with Jesus, he goes away and tells everyone about him. Or take the woman, verse 34, rather than fear, she shows faith. A simple sincere, dependent faith. How will we respond? Like the man, will we want to be with Jesus? Like the woman, will we have faith in Jesus? How are we able to have faith in Jesus? As some of you will know, uh, this summer just gone, I was at a uh, camp where one of the teenage girls sadly passed away suddenly. And she was a little daughter. She was only two years older than Jairus' little daughter. And on Friday, two days ago, was her Thanksgiving service. And at it, her father spoke about her daughter, saying that nothing can change the loss that they're experiencing. And yet what changes everything is that she trusted in Jesus Christ. And so in their loss, all they could do was turn to him. Because in Jesus, they see a man of compassion. A man who in his compassion suffered for us as he died on the cross. And yet a man who, as he suffered and died, was too powerful for death to hold him. And so rose to life again. And so he said... We have hope. We have hope that there is life beyond this life. That even though Jesus didn't raise our little girl, we know and trust that Jesus is reaching out his hand and will grab her by the hand and raise her to new life. You may be going through suffering or tough times at the moment, Will you come to Jesus? Will you trust in Jesus? You may be supporting someone who is suffering right now. Will you bring them to Jesus? Will you help them to keep on trusting in Jesus? Or you may be here and and you may not call yourself a Christian or you may not be sure if you are a Christian. 
And, and maybe that is because of suffering. Either you have gone through suffering or you've seen suffering. You think, I just don't want anything to do with him. Look, whether you believe in Jesus or not, or if you reject Jesus, we still need an answer to suffering. And as we turn away from Jesus, the best the world can say, the best the secular worldview can say, is it, is it, it is simply the circle of life. And yet in this man, Jesus Christ, you have someone who has immense compassion for your suffering. You have someone who engages with your suffering. You have someone who welcomes you to trust in him. And because of his resurrection from the dead, you have someone who promises a day where all suffering and all pain and all grief will be no more. So will we trust in him? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for these wonderful encounters with King Jesus. Thank you for the wonderful compassion that he shows. And yet alongside his compassion, thank you for the immense power that he shows, that he can do something about it. Father, if we are suffering at the moment, help us to come to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, and to have that hope of one day in the future where all suffering will be gone. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So thank you very much uh, for submitting them. Um, And, uh, well, let's start with the one that has a vote. Um, how do we respond to others in need when we perceive our capacity for kindness is wrung out? How do we keep going and showing Jesus' grace and gentleness in a hard and hurting world? Yeah, I guess this is someone who is, well, probably trying to support lots of people and feels like they've run out of energy, run out of gas a little bit, run out of compassion. Um, I I hope if that is you and that's how you're feeling, you have people who are able to support you and to encourage you. Um, And and do try, we we want to be, I know there's another question that kind of touches on how this can go wrong in the church, but we want to be a church that is caring for one another and that is looking out for one another. And we we all want to be doing that. And so please don't feel like it, it has to fall on your shoulders to be looking out for and caring for people. And so if you're struggling to look after uh, all the people that you're looking, trying to look after, please do um, ask other people to, to help out. If you're part of a small group, hopefully your small group house group is a good uh, context to be able to support one another and to look out for one another. So please do um, be trying to get other people to help out, look to be looking after yourself, ask others to be supporting you and showing you. And do pray. Let's be praying that God will help us, to help us to have a heart of compassion when we're finding it hard because we're, um, how is it put, our capacity is all wrung out. Do pray that God will keep sustaining us and helping us. Yeah, I guess that's the key, isn't it? That our compassion doesn't come from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it comes from having been shown compassion first, I guess. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah and seeing the compassion Jesus has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess uh, similar but a, a different reason that we might struggle to show compassion um, what do you advise to those of us desensitised to suffering due to the amount we see on news and social media um, you know even today we 
read of hundreds held hostage and killed um, in the Middle East, and you know it can just feel overwhelming, can't it? Yeah, yeah, it can. Doesn't seem to be a day's break from bad news. Um, I, I think I, I think I want to balance between. I want to pray. I want to pray that I wouldn't be desensitised. That I'd see things on the news and kind of shrug my shoulders and go, "That's life." But actually, that I'd ask God to to break my heart for the suffering that either I see in the world around me or I see close to home in this country or um, in this town or people that I know, so that I'd never kind of just shrug my shoulders and be desensitized to it. And yet at the same time, I don't want to go too far the other way and kind of just collapse in a heap and go, oh my goodness, there's no hope. But actually pray that God has shown me that he is in control, that he has defeated death, that that there is hope for us. So I think there's that balance there of of praying that God wouldn't let me be desensitized to suffering, that I'd see the the gravity and the evil that is in this world and we see around us, and I'd never shrug my shoulders at it, um, whilst also trusting him that he is in control. Great, that's helpful, thank you. Um, I guess on the flip side of that, in terms of trying to look for compassion, um, what if we turn to Christ and Christians, the church, uh, for compassion and it hasn't helped uh, and it's led, it feels like it's led to deeper suffering? Yes. If, if that's your experience as you've turned to other Christians for compassion and support and actually it's just heighten the suffering I'm so sorry to hear that and I'm sorry to hear that as you look to God's people for support you haven't found it um, there is the sad reminder and reality that even though saved we're, st- we're still broken people and can still hurt one another and respond in wrong ways and so pray that God would keep changing me and transforming me to the likeness of Christ so that I would be slower to respond with a sharp tongue or, or say the wrong thing and actually show compassion. And, and that's a challenge for all of us as, as the Holy Spirit works in us to change us. It's a process and it will take time. And so let's not make the mistake of thinking that Christians are perfect. Uh, hopefully that's not news to you. And so as we look to one another for support, great, let's support one another, realizing that we're not perfect. And so we still might get hurt. But don't please stop that from looking to other people. Um, Please don't fight suffering or face suffering in isolation. Um, As God builds his church as a family, we long to be family. And as family, we'll get it wrong and we'll hurt one another. But as family, we want to love one another and support one another and mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And that will take time for us to do but we long to be that. So let's try and be that for one another. Let's be quick to say sorry when we don't get that right. And let's pray that God would keep building us up to love one another more. Great. Let's squeeze in one final question. Um, You mentioned that this passage doesn't promise that we'll experience healing in the same immediate way um, that those that Jesus encountered did. Um, And so this question asks, we cannot always expect... Uh, physical healing, but if Christ is at work in his church, should not compassion and power both be signs of his presence? Uh, Yes, I hope so. (laughs) I hope to see compassion and power. We have a spirit who is powerful. We have a word that is powerful. And so the Bible says as the Holy Spirit works and his word is 
taught and preached, then there will be power, as well as um, the Holy Spirit at work in us all who trust in him to change us and transform us more to be like Jesus, who is a compassionate king. And so I hope that as God does his work in our church, that we will see compassion and that we will see power and we'll see lives changed. And, and I think we do, or I know we do. I know we do. Looking at the year I've been here, I've seen lives change, whether that's people saved or that's people who have been saved and growing in Christ. And so you see a power that only the Holy Spirit can do. So, yeah, I pray that as God does his work, we see power through his Holy Spirit and we will see compassion through his Holy Spirit and through his people. Great, thank you. I'll give the final word to this comment. He says, uh, I've heard this passage explained many times over the years. Thank you for helping me see Jesus' compassion afresh. Um, And I hope lots of us uh, would say amen to that.